The Cat and Cloud Coffee Podcast is brought to you by Wilbur Curtis. Wilbur Curtis gives you some of the best batch brewers around. They're so consistent. They're insane. You can program them. Your coffee's going to taste better than it ever has. And if you don't want to deal with that, guess what? It comes pre-programmed, so don't even worry about it. Also, this family-owned company has gone full solar, full green, full awesome. You know what that means? That means the sun comes down. They get the power. The power powers the plant where they create the brewers, and those brewers come out to us ready to go. Have you ever heard of a seraphim? Not just an angel, folks. No, folks. That is a tasty, tasty brewer for by-the-cup coffee. Even the coffee nerds can get a nice little shower head, program that thing. You heard of the clover? This is the new new. Seraphim, angel, ring down, happy coffee. Everything is coming together for you. If you hit up Wilbur Curtis and my friend Brent Curtis, who I've seen, who has kids, have seen. Of course, I've seen him. He's a great guy. He helps us out all the time takes his kids to Disneyland we have the best time as well this family-owned company treats people right they do a great job they're becoming the premier place to get your coffee equipment for batch brewing do it to it and if you need a water boiler guess what they have that too okay bye-bye not real dude what does that even mean it means so many things it means so many things we're recording are we recording yeah all right hello everybody welcome <laughs> to the cat and cloud coffee podcast this issue is going to be insane off the charts in the it's membrane me and jerry here like always but we are sitting with scott rail hey scott hey Chris. so scott has four writings on coffee if you don't know who scott is just do yourself a favor and go to that old google machine and plug in some google words google mash but scott wrote the professional barista's handbook which is all about espresso, being a barista. There's another one he wrote called Everything But Espresso, which deals with manual brewing methods. You wrote the Coffee Roasters Companion, which is about roasting. Probably like the, I don't know, it's like the quintessential roasting book it's of our time, one, I think. Yeah. yeah. And what was the other one? The it's, e- it's, it's an e-book, e-book called uh, Everything, I mean, it's everything. Uh, espresso Extraction, Measurement, and Mastery. Jeez. Uh, most, Measurements mostly, and mastery. Mostly about using a refractometer and sort of dialing into that and some more advanced techniques. Like super geeky stuff. Super geeky stuff. If you like I the geeky stuff, stuff, the other love stuff Scott. wasn't geeky enough. You know? <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was pretty soft, man. You're <laughs> Science. How you're getting soft on me. I was going to call Matt and be like, dude, what's up with Rail? I'm worried about him. Yeah, yeah he's kind of off the geeky cliff. He's yeah. falling off. Yeah. Well, dude, welcome. Thank you. I think this here. is one that a lot of people are going to listen to. You're you're such an enigma. Let's set the stage here. Like, <laughs> people, well, everybody wants to know who is Scott Rayo. Yeah. Also, mm. you have a blog. Where is Scott Rayo? It's true. Where is Scott Rayo? Dot com. Those are actually He's both r- questions people want to know. People all the time. actually yeah. want to know who and where all yeah. the time. Yeah. They want to know the W's. So well, one of my first questions to him is like, okay, where are you coming from and where are you going and what's that's the plan to get there? Because every day it's I wake up. three questions. Every day I wake up and I think those things. I'm like, <laughs> where am I? Where am I going? <laughs> And uh, this morning it was Santa Cruz. Tomorrow it's Oakland, you know. Yeah, but that's really my thing. I'm like, okay, where's he been? Where's he going? Because it yeah. is always – I don't think I've ever talked to you where you're like, this is where I live consistently right. in like I, the I 10 years. I do actually have a home, but I spend more time in other parts of the world than – Are I you Canadian? No. Okay. But you live in Montreal. No. No, no. I, I sold out of the Montreal thing years ago. Okay. There was yeah. a rumor that you were Canadian. No, no. It was just a rumor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Brooklyn originally. Oakland? Oh, Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Oh, I was Brooklyn? like, what? I thought yeah, you were that East was, Coast. That was pre-hipster. I didn't, you know. Okay. So what I want to know and what everybody else I think wants to know to get going is you've got these books on coffee. You're known in the industry. Where did you get your start with coffee? Like where did Scott Rayo come uh, from? So I was uh, 22. I just got out of college at UCLA. 
decided I really wanted to open a coffee shop. So I did this kind of crazy thing you'd only do when you're young. And I decided I was going to get in my car. I was going to drive all over the country, go to every major college town, find the best possible place to open a coffee shop, like low risk, and also find a way to get some money along the way. <laughs> which, which I was like, total optimist, right? Like, <laughs> somewhere out there, there's a hundred grand there's, waiting there's for me. There's money for me. Right. Every day there is. And, uh, you're right, right. In so, the banana stand. So it all actually, a few months later, it all worked out. So it was actually kind of a good story. So <clears throat> I get to uh, Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and it was just a perfect place to open a coffee shop. You know, there's, there's a retail sh you know strip right next to the campus with 40,000 people, and it was a lovely little town. And... Prior to that, the best place I'd seen was College Park, Maryland, which had 50,000 students. The only espresso machine, this was 1994, the only espresso machine was in a bagel shop in the whole town. So it's going to clean up, right? But it was kind of dismal. It was kind of like living on a highway. What year was this? 1994. 94. Right? 94. So, so I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it in College Park, but first I'm going to check Chapel Hill. All right, so go down to Chapel Hill. I'm thinking, this is awesome. But then the last store, as I'm walking down the street in Chapel Hill, is this amazing coffee shop that's exactly like my vision for my shop. Same, same everything, right? I go to the barista and I say, hey, I want to meet the owner. This guy, it's <laughs> about 45 years old, this guy Ed comes out. He says, yeah, what do you want? And I said, hey, I said, I drove from L.A. I went to Boulder. I went here, here, Ohio State, here, here, here. You know, I went to all these places. I want to open a coffee shop. I want to put a 12-kilo roaster in a window. I want to do X, Y, Z, all these things you did. And his whole demeanor changed. He's like, no shit. <laughs> I said, yeah. And he says, me too. I said, what do you mean, me too? He says, no, I did the same exact thing you did two years before. I was living in California. I went the same route you did, same idea, ended up here. And I said, holy shit. I said, okay, well, we're totally in the same wavelength. So I said, my number two is College Park, Maryland. He said, oh, that was my number three. So I said, all right, wherever your number two is, that is where I'm opening my shop. And he said, Amherst, Massachusetts. So I got in a car. A day later, I'm in Amherst. <laughs> Right? And I just basically spent a, a week living like a homeless person. I was just wandering the streets of Amherst. There's only one street. You know, but just kind of circling <laughs> the one. town for a week, just trying to feel it out, right? So there's a pizza place in Amherst. This is 20 years ago, okay? So you got to put the numbers in perspective. This right. pizza place in Amherst is doing $10,000 a day of pizza by the slice and cups of soda and nothing else. That's the a lot of people. smaller than Cat and Cloud. Which is very small so for those who haven't been here. So that's $20,000 in today's dollars, right? That's crazy. Unbelievable. That's right. a lot of that's and, a lot of volume. And there were five coffee shops, but they're all like, kind of bad. Kind of like second wave but worse, you know, right. kind of thing. And and I was like, all right, this is this is it. This is where I'm doing it. And there was a sweet spot kind of down an alleyway, um, with a lot of outdoor seating and stuff. It's kinda like that little niche coffee shop spot you always think of. Right. Ended, ended up doing it there. Wow. So yeah, it was wild. But it was it was great, super successful. Like we're doing way over a thousand people a day after a while and yeah. you know, in a tiny town with one stop sign basically, you know, so it was like it was a big deal. It's your own radiator um, springs. That's amazing. But but it was like living in a fishbowl. It was worse than high school. Oh. You know, like when you when you own kind of the coffee shop in a town that's so small, it's it's pretty claustrophobic. You were like right. a dude there. Kind of yeah. like that. Yeah. It's kinda like loved and hated and, and right. all those things. It's all public. That gets hard for yeah. sure. So no so, turning off. So can I tell you one more story about Amherst? All Absolutely. Day. <laughs> you can tell me all <laughs> so the stories you want. That's why we're <laughs> here. This is great. First, first few months in business, I get I get started on roasting, and I get these phone calls from apparently these these older people who live in this subsidized housing complex across the parking lot from my store, and they they don't have a conversation with me. They just yell at me like, "We're gonna shut you down. You have to stop roasting coffee." And I was like, "What? Who are you? What's wrong? I don't know. I don't even know what I'm doing wrong." And they're like, "We hate the roasting. We're gonna shut you down." And I'm like, "Fuck!" Like, <laughs> what kind of town have I moved to, right? So the health inspector comes to the back door of my cafe one day, veins bulging from his neck, starts cursing me out, yelling at me, telling me he's going to shut down my business. So I'm 22. I'm, I'm 100 grand in debt. I it's am like scared shitless. It's like pretty intimidating. Oh, yeah. Totally. I really, <laughs> I didn't sleep that night at all. I thought, holy, I'm losing my business. Yeah. Like I really thought I was losing it. So 
nine o'clock in the morning. I call my friend's dad, who's an attorney, and I'm like, look, this is what happened to me yesterday. He says, all right, calm down. Uh, they can't just shut you down so easily. There's kind of a due process. Anyway, the next six months was a battle with the town no. where it was like the old people basically telling the town to shut me down, the town coming to me saying, we're shutting you down, ignoring all my rights. And we had all these meetings. There's this meeting. One of the old people comes to me. I don't mean to be disrespectful to older people, but that's kind of who they were. They were <laughs> the I old mean, folks. I you're 22. They're <laughs> yeah, old. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so he comes to me and he says, uh, <clears throat> he says, oh, they're having a meeting about you tonight in the community center basement. And no, it, was who's like, not? it was like at nine o'clock at night, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, this is such a setup, but I got to go. I got to go to this meeting. So I go to this meeting. It's the board of health. It's the three old people complaining. And I don't get a word in edgewise. So when I start speaking, they cut me off and they, they lied to me about my rights. They told me that my business is about to be shut down. They, they insulted me personally. It was such a like a witch hunt, weird thing going on. Right. Yeah. I was so freaked out. But then but the attorney's like, all right, don't worry. Don't worry. They can't do this. Right. And. So apparently that meeting was illegal because you have to announce these meetings publicly and they didn't. They just kind of did it to intimidate me. Right. Mm. It's crazy. So <clears throat> it was totally like a movie. So a few weeks later, there's the, the, the official version of this meeting. But this time I'm like, I am coming prepared. Right. Right. So I get the attorney. My friend's dad is this like, world renowned expert on, on industrial air pollution issues. He comes. Perfect. I send a letter out. To, I give a letter to all my kind of regular customers who aren't college students, like all the townies. Right. Right. I felt kind of bad. I felt a little weird saying, can you come to this meeting for me? But I was really scared. Yeah. You know? So I go to this meeting. The newspapers are there. The attorney's there. The air quality expert's there. And hundreds of people come to basically tell the town to F off. And it was amazing. Holy it was like the crap. coolest moment of my life where, where the town <laughs> board was sitting there like about trying to tell me they're going to shut me down. And these people came in basically saying, you shut this place down. You're not getting out of this room alive. It, it felt like that. Like <laughs> it was that intense. So Pitch I felt like and all. Like I cried. Like these people yeah. were totally, you know, like coming to bail me out. And I didn't right. even know them. I was new to this town, you know. That's got to feel really good. It was an good. intense moment. But uh, so I ended up, you know, I'd, up until then, I'd spent actually 30 grand on a system to clean the air coming out of the roaster and it, it wasn't really working great it was okay yeah you know but the the town board says to me you know you're not taking this seriously and i said look i'm already in debt and i'm working my ass off and i just spent 30 grand i don't even have i'm like of course this is serious you know right and i said i'm going to spend another 20 grand you know to fix this and it turns out that the legal rules of these meetings is that you know everyone kind of has to talk and turn there's kind of rules and the old people kept yelling and so they got thrown out of the meeting Amazing. So it was me it was the <laughs> 300 people on my behalf and it was the town board who was kind of being assholes and um so basically i got to set my own rules so i i, I said look i'm gonna take i'm gonna take six weeks to put in this system and they're like six weeks you know blah 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 and i said look i actually i don't have to negotiate because there's no one left to negotiate with i could say six years you'd have to say yes you right it's a weird situation you know and so basically, they, they said, fine, I put the system in, it worked, and the whole thing kind of blew over, but it was, like, scariest thing to be in that, you know, just like, oh, my gosh, we're going to just go down and be in debt and just, you know. That'd be the worst it feeling it ever. Be, I, it, I don't know how you survive that. I don't know how somebody opens a business, borrows a lot of money, and fails. Like, it must be a miserable Yeah, feeling, what do you do you know? next? You just like, okay. If I was 22 yeah. and that happened to me, I'd be just tripping so hard. Oh, man, it you was know, UPS? Time. I'm going to work for UPS, I guess? <laughs> like, or? Uh, yeah, right. Anyway, so that was that was the humble beginning. That's the beginning. <laughs> that was, that was, was the beginning amazing. of coffee roasting in 1984. You know, that's a really good story. It was intense. That's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. That kind of blows my mind. That blows were you, my mind. Were you just like, okay, you start roasting coffee, right? And you're just like, okay, I'm just gonna start roasting and tasting and roasting yeah. and tasting at that point, yeah, right? Because totally. you're 22 yeah. and that's what you do. Yeah. Did you find yourself? Did you find some mentors at that point, or was yeah. that dude Ed your mentor? Or did so you when I was when I was 21, I lived in LA. I went to UCLA. And uh, this company opened a couple blocks away from my apartment called City Bean. 
And at the time, I hated coffee. Just everything I'd have was, was terrible. You know, like coffee was terrible. I mean, Starbucks right. was kind of the best thing around, which it was terrible. It truly was. And so yeah. <laughs> I had this cup of coffee that my boss, I was working at a pizza shop. My boss brought me a cup of coffee. I drank it, and I thought, wow, this is delicious. Like, I, I didn't know I could like coffee. And I took a break. I went to the coffee shop, and I, I met the owner, and I said, I said, hey, you know, Rob just brought me this cup of coffee. It was amazing. I, I, I want to try it again. He says, oh, we switched, we switched coffees. I was like, no, 21 years is the only good one. And he says, no, here, this one's on me, right? He gave me a cup of coffee, and I was like, oh, this guy knows something. Like, it was really good. <laughs> Although, this was Sumatra, so obviously I knew nothing back it's then. the beginning. But, you know, it yeah. It's all, I don't know. <laughs> well, but, the, you know. yeah, that taste, but, uh, though. It's all contextual, taste. you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. It's but, like um, but this guy, James Marcotte, who, who strangely enough is, is working for Intelli now. Like, he stopped roasting many years ago, but he was an incredible roaster. And, he, and his, you know, it was a small company, just super quality focused. Um, he became kind of a mentor. Like, he, he kind of sh- took me roasting with him, and I was like, oh, cool. Like, I really wanted to open a coffee shop. Because I loved coffee shops, but I didn't really like coffee that much. But then James kind of introduced me to great coffee, and that right. just kind of set the whole thing in motion. So, yeah. What did quality control look like for you back in the day? Because now people know you as like the highly analytical, mm-hmm. almost sci- like scientific. Do you have roots yeah. in that? Those uh, kind of systematic approaches to right. things to make things awesome? So, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think of myself as more systematic than scientific. Okay. Um, I studied physics in college, but I can't really claim it. Like, I use it in right. coffee, you know? <laughs> um, right. But, you know, what it looked like back then was, you know, there was, for instance, there was no Cropster or anything like that. So right. it looked like literally cartons of notebooks from roasting notes. Like yeah. All these temperature readings from, you know, 20,000 batches over seven years just in stacks, you know. And when it came to extraction, so I had, I had no way to measure extraction, but came up with this idea that I, I think of now as the, the highest non-astringent extraction. Right. So basically, you're brewing a coffee, you go a little finer, make the extraction higher. You go a little finer, you keep tasting it. And when you get some astringency and some bitterness, then you kind of back off and you just go slightly coarser than that. And that was kind and of what probably I, that ideal. That guided me for years. That was, and it's still kind of, you know, of, oftentimes where you end up these days. You know, It makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. like that Perger's got that flow chart. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like, you know, brew and taste. Is it astringent no then like increase right. the extraction right. a little bit until you get to that right. dry astringent place and then back off exactly. a little bit exactly. yeah so that's that's what i was doing back then and that yeah. you know that worked really well for for the time you know and coffee was you know pre-second crack but only just right okay. you know and um i mean even people like george howell back then i mean george was roasting lighter than others were but george was was pretty close to second crack mm-hmm. you know he won't admit that now but uh god bless him but you know he's <laughs> you know but we've all drifted a little lighter but, yeah you know i mean you should only really roast as light as you as you can Right. Sense, you know, as light as you can do it skillfully. Yeah. Right. And uh, so we're all kind of struggling with we had no idea how it worked, you know, and uh, the data has really helped these days, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. It's a data is a crazy it's thing. It's a godsend. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it definitely gets you to Z quite a bit quicker than we used yeah. to. I mean, Even if it's just like way more convenient than taking notes of like rise over run, like mm-hmm. plotting temperatures and just having them in a database, let yeah. alone being able to compare them and like dig them up super easily. Yeah. It's the best thing ever. So so the system back then, right? So I had this amazing staff of people who just, they, they worked their asses up and people still walk up to me in the street when I'm back in Amherst and they're like, oh, that staff 20 years ago, they were amazing. Like it was great, right? Totally, they were on a mission. They, they were like on a mission to have the greatest coffee in the world. Right. And our whole shtick was like, we all brew coffee the same exact way. We don't break the system, but if you get an idea, if you want to challenge it, go for it, and we all kind of blindly decide what wins. So it was like the ultimate meritocracy. We were yeah. just constantly trying to figure out like what's going to work better. We had no idea what was going underneath, but that was like the goal was to was to make it pretty good, you know. That's awesome. Yeah. When did you transition into, or start to transition into like the role that you have now? So obviously you're really well connected in the specialty coffee community, and 
I feel like you know everybody. How did that ball <laughs> start to roll? You know, right. you're in a little right. town, you're roasting coffee, you got a mentor, and then right. boom. So um, I sold that business mostly because I felt like living in that small town was just getting a little little claustrophobic. You don't really strike me as a small town no, guy, by the no, way. No, yeah, no, no. World traveler. Yeah. Scott Rail. Scott's a jet well, you know, setter, I feel when like. When you're young and you're borrowing money, it's kind of intimidating. I mean, for me to have opened that shop in New York, I think would have been too stressful. Oh, gosh. I would have been, you know, I wouldn't really have the funding. I'd be scared. You know, doing it in a small town felt really safe. Yeah, you might be sense. stuck in New York, right? Well, yeah. Or like, it'll take years to be able to get yeah. successful on that level, yeah. right? This, this, I felt like the worst case scenario, you know, rent was low, risk was low, competition was low. I could just, I could just, if I had to just work alone, I could work alone. Like I wouldn't go out of business. You know, yeah. I just felt like super safe, you know, but sold that business, did a little travel, ended up, well, four years of travel, ended up, um, went to New Zealand, loved it, ended up staying there for a while and worked in a coffee shop for a bit to kind of get residency. And, uh, you know, kind of saw this whole thing that was going on down under where it was like, oh, you know, these guys are making coffee a little differently. They're roasting a little bit lighter. They're using lower doses. They're extracting a little higher. It was like, it's kind of this other thing. Like they were kind of 2.5 wave at the time. Yeah. And um, that kind of, you know, got the wheels turning, came back to America, opened this sort of restaurant cafe with a friend um, and, you know, started implementing that kind of stuff. And then um, that partnership was like kind of rough because he'd never been in food before and he kind of like had a ton of money. And, and you know, <laughs> it was like for him, it was kind of a game. For me, it was kind of serious. No, this is like, real. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. Like, so it, that didn't go so well. I mean, the business is great, but, you know, um, but so I, I sold out my share to him and then I was kind of sitting around with nothing to do. And I thought, you know, I always wanted a book on how to make coffee. Just there really wasn't much. There was Shomer's book. Right. But right. I felt, like, I felt like there was something out there a little more systematic, a little more universal. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, you know, I've got a little bit of a science background. I like doing experiments. I just spent a year basically like stinking up my apartment with experiments, sitting in the basement of the physics library, reading up on stuff. Like what is percolation? How does this work? Like, you know, not coffee percolation, but general percolation, right. fluid dynamics and stuff. Just try to understand stuff. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to write this book. And it was mostly just a service. I didn't think I'd ever sell many of them. I didn't think I'd make money on them. It was more like, I'm going to spend some money. I'm going to put together this book. And if I sell a thousand of them, awesome. Cool. You know, and it just, it, I forgot about two things, right? I forgot that there was the internet and I forgot that most people do not live in America. I was just thinking <laughs> a thousand people in America will buy this book one day. Right. <laughs> and then it turned out that like, and I thought they were all going to be professionals, but it turned out that most people buy it were home baristas and the vast majority of people buying it were outside of America. So it's like, Oh, the market's a lot bigger than I thought. What so year was this about? This was, um, 2008, 2007, okay. somewhere right. around um and so that that was great that was like you know to realize there was this whole you know reach into the into the coffee world worldwide now where like the internet was connecting me with people in singapore and, and australia and stuff like that and it was like everyone started sharing stuff online and i felt like the timing was really lucky you know that was like the right time to put out a book like that and the business was growing everywhere and that was a lot of fun so i was like hey, I'll, I'll write another book you know and it was just kind of one of those things was like you know kind of it suited me at the time you know yeah kind of just uh sit down and think and write about coffee after all those years of just making it you know it's also yeah it's the right time but it's also the perfect market because there was a huge at least from my perspective information vacuum yeah so right. i had Shomer's book yeah and that was i mean 2008 is that his is from like the 90s mm -hmm. at some point in time and if anybody's ever read this book it's like it's really not about coffee brewing in that it's just strictly about his espresso yes. style. Yes. Like, this is how you make this, like, American interpretation of, like, a northern Italian espresso. Totally. Done. And, th and that's it. And yours is a... 
yours can be applied to, I feel like, multiple. You have some rules, but you can apply it to multiple different coffee styles. Right. And as well with the brewing book, you can apply it to multiple different right. that was brewing hope, devices. You know, I right. felt like David was very focused on, like, this is how I make coffee in my shop exactly. Right, right. You know, and I was like, ah, but that guy only uses one machine. And it's like kind of, yeah, I, I like the idea of maybe, I mean, I give some prescriptions, but more like provide some tools and, and hopefully people kind of be able to use those tools as they wish, you know. And then when we were starting, it was almost impossible to find anything. Shomer was the only thing that I ever yeah. really found, aside from like the forums that were activated at the time. There yeah. was like the forums the were coffee mess. forum were and like the BJ yeah, forum. Yeah. And it was just like, oh. Yeah, I mean it was kind of like a shit show. Coffee, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was deep. And then the everybody forums were the wild west, you yeah. know. It's like <laughs> the, the, the biggest personalities were just you know taking over the forums, big you time. Know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And ultimately, they were all just talking about latte art at the end of the day. Right. <laughs> well, they talked about a lot of stuff, but it, it was like less stuff. about who knew what or who had any proof of concept, but more about who's just talking the most. Right. Which a lot of that still happens today, but <laughs> there's a little bit more of like a cool can you prove like who are you right and then back then the people who had the bigger shops and the yeah the more friends were the ones that you couldn't say no to and disagree <laughs> with or else you get in trouble yeah, yeah. Which i always thought that was funny yeah. i was like oh yeah and then all of a sudden i had a friend who and i'm like yeah i'm somebody in coffee now because somebody's yeah. getting my back over here well, i I'm agree with internet. jared yeah exactly <laughs> I remember you hear that, that? yeah i'm like <laughs> you hear that guys i made it thanks to those barista competitions okay wait so what was kind of your driving passion, though, with, with coffee and opening shops and, like, diving into this rabbit hole? Because, I right. mean, I assume it wasn't just money or else you would just... Nah. You know what I'm saying, right? If it was just money, I just would have kept my first shop and just had the easy life and right. just made money. And put you money know? in the bank forever, yeah, yeah. right? And just yeah. killed it. Um, you know, it was really... I loved coffee shops. So even before I liked coffee... So, all right. So my, my second year of college, right. I lived with five, four other guys in a two-bedroom apartment. It cost a fortune in L.A. <laughs> And so I had two roommates, basically. So three of us in one room. Right. And I kind of got along with everyone, but they didn't all get along. Right. So going home was not the best thing, and, and studying at home was almost impossible. So UCLA had this great coffee house on campus called Kirchhoff. Okay. Lovely place. It felt like it belonged in Oxford. Kirkhoff. Had these, had these <laughs> this, this German-style coffee shop. They had these stained-glass windows and these ratty old carpets, but it was, it was home. It was great. Yes. And it was open till midnight. Oh, that's huge. And, Midnight. You know, it was it became my, my haven. It was that second home and, and I just I didn't really like coffee and God knows Kirkhoff's coffee was bad. Right. Um, but I loved the idea of the coffee house. Yeah. I was much of a drinker, I was probably too young to go to a bar, but it was you know, it was that it was that thing. Like like I loved years ago when you guys were at forty first street. Mm-hmm. I loved coming there. Like I would go major detours on road trips because it's like you go there and you're home. Right. You know, you guys were there, you're having fun. Mm-hmm. I felt like part of the family. You know, and it's like, that's what people go for. Right. You know, it's like the coffee is kind of secondary, which might be weird for people to hear me say. But, you know, (laughs) I really, really care about making good coffee. Right. Absolutely. More than anyone, really. Like, I really give (laughs) a shit. (laughs) More than anyone. Like, really. (laughs) I'll back that up. (laughs) At at the end of the day, (laughs) you know, like the experience of a coffee shop, it's more about the community, the connection, the people. And, you know, it's like that can't be replaced. No, there is that feeling. I mean, I've been many places where I had a really good cup of coffee and not so good surface. And it just, I didn't walk away feeling like I was dying to go back, you know? I still feel that feeling back at like naked lounge in Chico. And it was the same thing when I was young. It's just open till midnight. You don't drink alcohol. You go see your friends there. The coffee's whatever. It's like better than most places. And then you just like enjoy your time and you leave there and you're like, all right, I just connected with some people. I'm, not alone in this world. Totally, like, it's totally. Good. <laughs> that, that was that was the whole driving force. You yeah. know, it really 
I was lucky I met someone who actually made great coffee so I could learn that. But right. it really, I probably had I never met him, I would have just opened a coffee shop with terrible coffee right. and then hopefully figured it out one day. But it was yeah. just like the vibe and the, <laughs> what it does for community. I mean, what that first cafe of mine did for that town was great. Like there were coffee shops, but you know, hundreds of people over the years came up to me. It's like, ah, oh, I met my wife at your shop. Oh, I wrote my dissertation at your right. shop. Oh, like I got divorced and I went to your shop every day for the next month. And it really just like kept me together like that. You know, you know how that is. How many people though forget that? Yeah. Like how many totally. people who are working at coffee shops, like baristas and people who are listening to this, just forget that that's even a portion of their day. Yeah. And they literally do just get focused on like, all yeah. these weird details that just suit them personally yeah. on their, like their day in and day out. And they're totally. like, you know, whatever. Keep the butter hard and slice it because it's easier for me to slice it. And, yeah. you know, and the weirdest thing ever. You're like, totally. No, dude. It's like, and that's, you know, I, I see that in different ways with clients all the time. You know, I do a lot of consulting and they, you know, people get so wrapped up in some details. Like I'm desperate to get them to take a step back. They're like, wait, why are we doing this? And, and what's the real goal here? And should I like refocus on what's important? You know? Yeah. That's, that's pretty big. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like one of our driving forces. Yeah. Coffee's the ingredient that makes it go around, but that's it. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Oh, my gosh. You know, and this, this place, I mean, I walked in yesterday, and it was, you know, even if I didn't know you guys owned this place, it was like it had the vibe that you guys had down the street before where it's like everyone was just super friendly. Everyone cool. was welcoming. Nobody had barista attitude. Yeah. You know? It's so good uh, to hear. I'm proud of them. That's critical, you know? Yeah, and I wasn't even in town, so that's good to know. <laughs> I was driving back from L.A. Right. I was in the roastery. Yeah. I was just lurking. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, that's so cool to hear. Did you yeah. pop out and go, where is Scott Rayo? No, Scott Rayo <laughs> came in the back door. <laughs> oh, first, that's what you do. He went in. He's just, like, sneaking up. And then I was thinking, I was like, okay, what's he going to tell me to fix right now? <laughs> he's going to have something. He's going to have some knowledge for us. I don't us. know what you're talking about. The, fir <laughs> the first time that oh I no. ever, oh yeah, no. this is going to be good, <laughs> that I ever remember, like, really hanging out with you. So we got, I, I started to know Scott when I was working at Ritual. This doesn't have to do with Jared's cappuccino, does it? No, no, no. <laughs> no, that was after. That was a lot after. We could tell that story after. I that's a good story. Still. No, this is a better story in, in its own way. So, because it was pre-Verve. So, I was at oh, Ritual. Yeah. And Ritual. You, yeah, yeah. You came down, and um, we went to Tartine. It was you, myself, and Ryan Brown. Yeah. And we stood in the Tartine line. And then <laughs> a lot of people probably know this about you, but you like tea a lot. Yeah. Like, you're a tea fanatic. So, we get some pastry and like their coffee program at the time was like whatever. So you got tea yeah. and the, you go to a separate area for the tea and the guy grabs like some tea and like a bag and he throws it in like a paper cup and then he starts bringing like boiling water out of the linea, uh, classic oh, yeah. and oh, you're yeah. just like whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you're like do you have any other water in this place and the guy's like what and he's just like some like just right. random kid from the city you know he's right. just, like some disheveled like <laughs> He's like, what is happening? You're like, yeah, can you get some water? And we're going to need to cool it down a little bit. And like this tea in the bag, it's like kind of constricting it. Like, is there anything else we could put it in? We got to get rid of the paper cup. And I was like, holy crap, dude. This guy's going hard. You know, right in now. my defense, Chris, we probably waited in that line for 40 minutes to get a pastry. Right? That's true. No, that's yeah. true. Yeah, no, we waited a long time. I was going to say that. I was like, people don't know that line is down the street and around yeah, the corner. Yeah. That basically. was pretty fun. There yeah, no that, hurry there. Yeah. that was good. No, I, I like that. That was a, That's a good memory that I Sometimes always have. You just need quality, Chris. I know. You know, right right around that time, I was having dinner with Ryan Brown. And Ryan Brown says to me, so I ordered an oolong somewhere. And he's like, I bet you order oolong because it's the hardest tea to screw up. And I was like, I never thought of that. You're right. <laughs> 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 Ryan Brown is probably like on your level. Man. He's he just Ryan. He, he always sees through what I'm doing. He's like, I know why you're doing that. He's like, I get you. Yeah, yeah. Mr. Smithers. <laughs> 
<laughs> he Ryan always. used to call bullshit on everything I used to try yeah. to pull. He's like, what yeah. are you doing? And I'm like, what? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he was good at that. Yeah, he was he really good He was one of the funniest guys ever. He was like dry, but just know oh, yeah. exactly how to make a good uh, joke. He's sharp. He always he sees th- all the bullshit. He's oh, like, yeah, he's he very can't smart. can't stand the coffee industry bullshit, you know? Yeah. yeah. He's all, no, dude, no. And I'm you like, still keep in touch with him? Yeah, yeah. I actually saw him a few weeks ago. He's in Denver now. Okay. They just had a second kid, and, you know, they're super busy. But he's not in coffee anymore. No, he left coffee. Yeah. What's he's he a, He's a tech. He's, he's in tech. Yeah. 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 Kind like, of a sad loss. Like tech coffee. code tech? Uh, Something. He kind of explained it to me, but I never understand. My friends in tech I don't, I don't really know what they do. Yeah. I, you know, they <laughs> tell me. computers and, I, and talking yeah, to people. Because yeah. I play you know. with the internet a little <laughs> bit. Push the buttons and they talk to things. Yeah. They yeah, talk to exactly. things. Bits and exactly. bytes. Okay. People are going to like really hate on this podcast if we don't talk about coffee roasting. <laughs> okay. You know? Oh, yeah. Because that's what everybody... I don't even know where to start. It's just I mean, what do you even talk about with coffee roasting? It goes in there and you do some stuff, but like, tell us what... Oh, gosh. So you've got the book. Yeah. Which has some like (laughs) solid principles about roasting. Right. And then, okay, actually, here's here's a question to lead in. Mm -hmm. That like development time ratio, Mm -hmm. development percentage, is that your like... Yeah. invention yeah. that is you right totally. that yeah. is and wh- what year did you have this like epiphany or four or five years ago or so four or five just, years ago it just seems strange to me that people are always talking about development time online and these forums and it was like i don't know is a three minute development time reasonable in a nine minute roast doesn't seem like it but right. maybe it would fit. you know it just seemed like one of those things man mm. it probably should be proportional you know and and it's you know it's probably one of the most misunderstood things and so i promise you this if you ever write a book it's going to frustrate you because at the end of the day, people will finish your book and they'll only remember two or three things, literally totally. two or three. It's like voting, right? People vote oh, yeah. on one or two issues and that's it, right? They can't get past those. So it's like, you know, I'm remembered for this development time ratio thing and it's and it's important to me, but it's also kind of misunderstood because you can't, for instance, you can't taste. Oh, yeah. sorry. You're good. You there can't go. taste a 20. You can't taste a coffee and say, oh, that was 20% development ratio. It's right. not like that. It's more just like a benchmark. It's more it, like... It's more like saying, you know, your espresso shot should come out around 30 seconds or something like that. Like, it's, it's one of those little guideposts yep. that just kind of tells you you're on, you're on track. Okay. Key <coughs> so performance indicator. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so the other thing about development time ratio is that <coughs> the third way people got to step back. And they got to realize that we are, what percentage of the world's roasting are we? Three. 1%, 3%, <laughs> yeah, right? It's at we're, most. We're tiny, right? Yeah, we're nobody. And so I couldn't just write a book aimed at people kind of roasting kind of Nordic to third wave, right? And Nordic the Nordic people third. get all all pissed at me because they're like, "Oh, my development time's fifteen percent. Screw you!" You know, it's right. Like, and they're like, "No, dude, you don't get it. That that the vast majority of people who read my book are roasting round second crack, right? Or, like sixteen or minute roast, right? And no, so that is what's, so interesting what's to think the, about. If you were to try to pick a development time ratio that suits ninety percent of roasters out there, I don't I don't know what it would be, but I did my best. I was like, eh, twenty to twenty five round numbers." A lot. I've had amazing coffee in that range, and it, and it really suits what most people are doing. And if you're a light roaster, you can go in a low end. If you're a light roaster doing a great job, you can easily go lower. But it's one of the things, like, if your ROR is kind of all over the map, you probably need the 20. But if your ROR is kind of, like, super smooth and you want to be at 17, God bless you. That's awesome. You know what I mean? It's like one of those <laughs> things. It's like, you know, unfortunately, though, that, you know, people kind of get bent out of shape over the development time ratio thing you know i think you're going to be getting and if, some if love anybody yeah though. if anybody has no idea what we're talking about <laughs> you should right. get the book <laughs> and then the second thing when he's talking about development time ratio it's the time between first crack in the end of the roast in proportion to the entire roast team. right so from the beginning of first crack to the end of the roast yeah right and it's you know again it's a benchmark so it's uh but it works for me in a sense that you know i get all these clients right so i do a lot of online consulting now 
people send me a roast curve, and usually it's kind of a mess. Usually the ROR looks like a drunk driver's path. Right. You know? I sent right. you a couple of those before. Okay, sure. Like back yeah. in the day? Yeah. <laughs> right when I started, I was and, like, hey, what's happening? And so, you know, <laughs> step, step one is like this. I, I don't know what your coffee tastes like when you send me the curve, but I know that if we can get your curve smooth, we get your development time ratio somewhere near 20% if you're sort of a light, medium roaster, we're in a ballpark. Now, now I can taste it. Now we can fine tune. Right. And that's like, that's really valuable for me to have those sort of benchmarks because otherwise it's like, you can't just help people by just, you know, just guessing all the time you know it's like the putting people into that box where when they start getting smooth curves in 20 percent they're so close to doing an amazing job at that point that it's like now we can now we can really get down to the nitty-gritty right so that's right. that's kind of the goal you i know? mean it's the same thing when we apply like tasting people's coffee or if they ask questions on the internet right for espresso extraction and stuff yeah. like that and like how do we get consistent like we'll start here right we give them kind of like a generalized what's recipe. your ratio what's your shot time right. and then let's start you know? talking and exactly. get that consistently exactly. And without those, you know, so I get I get criticized a lot. I'm, I'm okay, by the way. I don't, I don't mind being criticized a lot. It doesn't bother me whatsoever. <laughs> I grew up in New York. Everyone just, you know, yelled at the dinner table and shit. You know, it's no big deal, right? So <laughs> um, people are always like, oh, man, coffee's not about numbers, stuff like that. And I actually, I totally get that, right? But the thing is, if I just wrote a book, it was like my feelings about how you should make coffee, <laughs> right? It wouldn't, it wouldn't be very communicative. It wouldn't be helpful to a reader. That'd be but like my I, book. Uh, well, you know, feelings. and it could be a great book. No, I'm just kidding. Know. I know. But I, but if I you put it. if you put some numbers and you put some objective indicators and stuff, I'm not telling you you gotta do it this way. But suddenly we can communicate a lot better, right? Because the, the numbers have become part of our language about how to communicate with each exactly. other. And unless we're sharing the coffee together and can drink it together and talk about it, this is the, really the most efficient way to to communicate what's going on. So that's common you know, language. Yeah, it kind of frustrates me actually. I wish I could use kind of less numbers, but it's just. It's just not practical. Well, now you're the numbers you know. guy, too. Yeah. So you're not yeah, allowed. Yeah. Now I'm boxed in. I'm the development time ratio guy. I'm the numbers guy. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what happens when you kind of invent stuff, you know? Yeah. You yeah. get like the fact that people only remember a couple things from your book, and one of those is the DTR thing mm-hmm. is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, it's cool. Because that means you have uh, something, you came up with something that nobody else had before then. Yeah, so that's like yeah. one of the key standouts. Yeah. No, I invented Mach 1. Mach 1. I invented Mach 1. Hella fast. So we can't even get past Mach 1. Uh, so, like, the, a, f- a few years ago, maybe maybe five-plus years ago, when really Cropster was just, you know, only a few places were using it and stuff like that, even the concept of a straight ROR, which I'm not saying you got to do, but even the concept of straight ROR was just, I, I couldn't find it anywhere. No one was talking about it or anything like that. And I was like, I don't know. I still don't know if that makes the best coffee. I do yeah. know that straight ROs always make good coffee. And when you right. say straight ROR, you're talking about continually declining rate yeah. of rise curve. So the rate yeah. of rise is always, so the rate of rise is like a derivative of the, you know the the speed of the the bean temperature temperature curve. over time. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm talking about like the the you know second order derivative being basically like a flat number. So if the ROR is like you know eight at one point, a minute later it's seven, and a minute later it's six. It's like that. It's just kind of going down in lockstep, right? Cool. Great. Right. And you know that that works really well. And that was one of those things. Was like I think I got to talk about this, but still don't know if it's right. You know, I just I just know it works. It seems know? to be right. I mean, it seems to you know like. It works a couple for us. I mean, for us, it works. It works. Now, if you, if you really want to geek out for a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Right? I okay. obviously want to geek so out. So <clears throat> the straight OR is, is straight OR is a bit of um, it's a bit misleading because let's say you got a really big, fat bean probe. Let's say you got this 9-millimeter bean probe in your G60 that ProBot installs, right? Your ROR curve is going to look like a rainbow. No matter what you do, it's just going to be this really slow arcing thing. Because, because the probe's slow. The probe's so slow. So when you're reading, you know, something at seven minutes, really the probe is kind of thinking about something that happened a minute ago. And then your cropster is averaging that over 15 or 30 seconds. So everything gets smoothed out to death. All right. Now, if you put a one millimeter or one and a half millimeter probe in that same machine, your ROR curve is going to look like it sags. 
It's gonna look like a, like a ski slope. Like, like it's kind of, a kind of, yeah, it scoops. Huh. All right. And then you put in a three to four millimeter probe, and that same line is gonna be kind of straight. So huh. when I talk about straight ROR, it's I hate to say it, but it's 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 kind of an oversimplification because it's it's too hard to talk about. Okay, well, you know, what's your probe and if where is it? And, you know, but because you can't account for every single right. situation that someone right. might have. So for instance, you know, Loring Loring uses a really fast little probe, and Loring curves are always kind of scooped. But I think if they had just a fatter, slower curve in there, a lot of those curves uh, probe in there, the curves would look straighter. Anyway, that's just a little, a little bit of an asterisk. Cool. The general idea is that the ROR is kind of going down at a steady rate. Um, and, and with most reasonable probes, you'd be looking at a straight line. Right. So just so you know, if you have that big, fat probe and you have this, like, moundish ROR curve, you just have to compute what that means for you, right? Like, take yeah. that into account a little bit and know yeah. that you're never going to get that perfectly straight yeah. slope down curve. But really, you know, if, if you have that really slow, fat probe, you are missing out, though. Because all of your all of your data is smoothed out, so you really don't know what's going on underneath. There's no there's no way to know. This is always even if you're you just always did a ton in a of delay, math. You're yeah, like always in the, like, you're, the you're always path. just like eh, it looks kind of right. Now, I mean, those are those are my easiest consulting jobs. I go and I'm like, oh, there you go, smooth curve, because it's like it's so easy. But really, you know, once once I get some of them to install a thin curve, they're like, oh, they see right. so much movement, it's so much noise that wasn't there before, and then suddenly there's little tactical things they want to do, and it's like, all right, now now we're getting somewhere. Are there, this might be a little techie for the podcast, All but right. so most of our roasts are maybe a little bit more developed than some of our peers, but we're still mm -hmm. on the lighter roast if we're taking into account sure. like your entire audience. Like you say, you yeah, wrote the book yeah. for everybody. Um, one thing that I found particularly tricky or really confusing when I was started doing like darker roasted coffees, mm -hmm. like coffees that are coming up close to second crack is mm -hmm. maintaining that consistent ROR curve because mm. you hit a certain point uh, where the ROR really wants to jump out because the coffee's got a lot of moisture driven out of it, you know, well after mm -hmm. first crack. Yes, yeah, so you're a minute and a half after first crack or something yep, that wants to scoop up. It wants to scoop to, yeah, way yeah, back up and it yep. wants to scoop like really, really quickly, yep. even with just the tiniest bit of like gas totally. going on there. Is, totally. is that something that you think is like okay in a coffee that you're roasting darker or do you still try to tame that tiger totally tame it tame the tiger it's hard yeah it's really no, hard. it is hard it, so um, we will tame it <laughs> yes yes <laughs> so really um there are some tricks to it and it's it's hard to talk about because it kind of depends a little bit on your machine and, and right. what you got going on <clears throat> um if you have airflow control you can definitely play with that a little bit you know not too much but when you when you restrict the airflow a little bit after first crack it actually keeps the r it props it up a bit right it helps it from dropping right right, right? <clears throat> Um, but likewise, you know, there are machines that have a lot of insulation in them or machines like the Diedrich that have these these kind of heat panels that trap heat. And when you when you open up airflow, sometimes things start to get hotter faster because you're stripping heat off of those panels faster. Yep. But then eventually that all kind of bleeds out and then there's not as much heat trapped and then everything kind of collapses. So it's kind of every machine's a little different. So that's kind of the asterisk. We'd see that in the ProBot. Right. So it's also we see it on the... Comparatively to what we're doing now. Yeah. yeah. So on right. the San Franciscan, so we have two ways to control airflow. We've got the fan mm -hmm. that control, we can control the fan speed or we can use the damper. Yeah. So if we use the damper and we have the damper restricted or halfway closed when we open that damper oh geez we'll get a huge environmental temp spike and mm, then the beam yeah. temperature curve will follow which does not happen if we let's say right. increase fan speed right so if you want to do something like that if i had a recommendation not necessarily for you just in general right if you're going to do something like that do it do it kind of you know six seven minutes into a roast don't do it late in a roast right it yes. too much havoc but but let's say you want to get your so let's say you want to roast dark 
a couple things you want to think about are you want to get your environmental temperature a little higher early in a roast because basically what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to enter first crack with a bit of a higher ROR because you want to be able to sustain without hitting zero for a longer time to get darker. Yeah. Right. And the Especially higher you're, if you want to keep that curve, that yes. ROR. So we're assuming a straight down. curve, right. right? Yeah. The thing is, the higher the ROR at first crack, the harder it is to control. So that it's not sense. impossible to control, but it, when you hit R, when you hit first crack really hard, like a really high ROR, a lot of momentum. What I want people to think about is this is just my theory. I think it's true. It may not be true. All right. Cool. You're going to release that much more moisture per second. Right. Yeah. Because you're okay. Sense. Now, the release of the moisture is what causes the crash in the ROR. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the moisture is effectively, you know, 220, 30 degrees Fahrenheit or something like that from the center of the bean coming out into this 400 something degree Fahrenheit environment right. and it's cooling things Sucking off. Sucking heat. Yeah. Right. So if you got a lot of beans in there, you got a you know decent sized batch and you hit first crack really hard, you've got a ton of moisture now cooling your system. So everything crashes. Right. So <clears throat> it's it's pretty tricky. Like the the real way to to kind of overcome that for darker roast is to be coming in at a higher ROR, have your gas setting be a little bit higher than yep. say in a crashy roast, yep. but not have your air temperature be higher. Actually have it be slightly lower. It's kind of mm. weird. So it's like you're kind of sandwiching the gas setting a little higher, the air temperature a little lower. It actually gives you a little bit more of a prop up to your ROR. Okay. You need that extra gas setting to make up for the extra moisture coming out and cooling things off. Right. But I just want to be clear, you never, to me, you probably never want to raise your gas setting at that point. Like okay. that's like a trick to hold up your ROR, but it never tastes as good that way. It always tastes a little roastier, a little less delicate. Uh -huh. So it's a tricky thing to talk about, but it's, you know, it is doable. Okay. That's good. I can so track with that based on roasting coffee and knowing what, you know, standing yeah. in front of that machine. But for sure, anybody listening yeah. will, will be like, uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, who doesn't roast coffee? Like, totally. It sounds cool. <laughs> that's like really, but that's like a, no, I think it's really interesting to hear about for like, say the guy down the street who came in today and is all listening to your podcast. Yeah, like, well, a good crazy. portion of people who are listening to this are going to understand this, but our our listenership is so mixed. Oh, no, dude, I love so, it. Yeah, it's awesome. So For there me. are a lot of people who are just, like, foaming at the mouth right now because they're getting You're literally this, like, super geeky people. talk. Yeah. That so, like, <laughs> this is what they want, you know what I mean? And then there's some people who are like, I don't know, man, sounds good. Oh, they're going to love, <laughs> I believe love you. hearing about it yeah. because they're going to be like, they're going to come in and ask us questions now. Right. That's right. the best part. So, so this will crack you up, right? But... So I get a lot of I get a lot of shall we say unsolicited emails from coffee people. You right? do? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's like, uh, hey Scott, here's my three pages of spreadsheets of roast data. Oh my uh, god! And I've never met this person, and they're not a client or anything. Like that. They're like, uh, can you just look at this and tell me what I need to do over here? You know, it's like one of these things. It would take me a half hour to figure dude. out what the heck this. And a lot of these guys are engineers by day. Oh no! Like they 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 know far more science than I do, and they're just you know some guys are sending me these formulas. I don't understand what they mean. This has been <laughs> happening for like eight years. Here's you know, <laughs> so, check it out. <laughs> so I'm thinking these guys are listening to the podcast. Are like, oh yeah, I gotta I gotta email Scott about this oh, stuff. Yeah. No, no, don't do it. Don't, don't email don't Scott. Do that. <laughs> you guys, he has to eat food and have a life. Also, he can't he's, read your emails all day long. He's got things to do. He's got people. <laughs> <laughs> things to do. <laughs> so you recently launched a blog, yes? Yeah. Well, then that's the Where is Scott Rayo, yes? Yeah. yeah. Is Blogging's that Where is Scott Rayo .com? Uh, It's just scottrayo.com forward slash blog, but it's called Where is Scott Rayo. It's fun. Yeah. It's and fun. And you've been doing about a, what, a post a week? -ish? Every other week, maybe. Every yeah, other-ish. Yeah. So I feel like um, I wanted to take a little more time off before writing a book again one day, and but I didn't want to kind of disappear. I wanted okay. to be part of the conversation. And, okay, so we talked about things like development time ratio. Part of the reason I started... The blog was that I feel like, you know, my thoughts evolve 
I, I never have the answers. I'm just, I'm always learning like everybody else. Uh -huh. And, you know, I put out this roasting book and people send me a lot of questions. I feel like I'd love to update my thoughts a little bit rather than just sort of just put out a book and just kind of disappear for a few years. Totally. And um, so the blog's kind of a fun way to do that. Yeah. Um, it's taken up a little more time than I planned, but it's, uh, but it's all right. It's kind of rewarding in its own funny way, you know. Is the time well, because you're answering questions based on people writing in all the time? And yeah, and yeah. I, I actually I put I put effort into the posts. Like I'll I'll yeah. edit the posts almost like I would a book, and I'll oh, for sure. you know I mean it'll it'll take many hours to put together a post, even though it seems like a one page post should oh, be no, simple. You, you know how blogging it is, is so. hard. Yeah, yeah. Uh, if you want to do a good job, all that yeah. stuff takes so much more time than people yeah who are just yeah. listening realize. Yeah, and then same we get questions like crazy, and you're like, man, how are we even gonna deal with this? Because yeah. you want to answer, or you want to give somebody at least a little something. Mm -hmm. You know, or else they yeah. don't want to interact with you. So I kind of have this rule of thumb. I mean, not with the blog, but just emails in general. I feel like I get all these emails and I just, I'll give anybody a paragraph of my time. Yeah. You know, ask me a question or a bunch of questions, I'll, I'll answer a paragraph. But if people kind of just want to overwhelm me with questions, I, I can't really, it's hard. Yeah. You know? And hopefully the blog will help because someone can ask the question there and then, you know, thousands of people can read the answer and maybe that'll, that'll answer whatever anybody else was about to email me right. about. And maybe that would make this process a little bit easier for me, you know. Without a doubt. Yeah. So you're, you're in between, you're blogging, you're consulting, mm -hmm. you're roasting a little. Yeah, just with, with clients. Just yeah, for yeah. fun. Okay, yeah, just yeah. for with clients. Yeah, yeah. And then... Well, wait, some, you had some coffee going out with the Elixir. You roasted coffee. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was fun. Out, like right now or went out? Yeah, pretty yeah. much. So, so Lee's uh, Christmas subscription, I guess, is, yep. is it. Yep. Um, yeah, so I had this client in Colorado who just started up with a Probot P12 and Perfect. got him some good coffee through Red Fox and just kind of... You know, he's doing a good job, and I was like, ah, you know, I was happy to roast for Lee. I just wanted to find a machine I felt comfortable on. Yeah. Because, you know, it's it's hard. Like, going, you know, I've roasted on a lot of different machines. Sometimes walking up to a new machine and a new installation, different probes, the whole nine yards. It's like, you never know what you're going to get. For sure. Sometimes it's it's a little bit intimidating, and it's like, ah, I don't want to screw up. I want to be good right away. You know, and that machine I was pretty comfortable on. I was like, ah, oh, we could do this for Lee here. You know? Cool. So it'd be fun. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And then... So where I was going with that is, and then you're traveling. Yeah. <coughs> what are you doing with your, are your, are your travels for fun? Are they for work? Both? Yeah, I mean, usually both. I like okay. to do a little bit of both. Gotcha. Um, this past week, I was just traveling a little bit with John from Decent Espresso. Cause right. We put out this little home machine, and that's that was fun. But we're just doing some casual demos in coffee shops. Lots of people have been things. nice enough to host us. So. Yeah. Um, they got St. Frank tonight, so I might go up there if I can make it in time, you know. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, most of my travels going forward will be will be consulting stuff. Okay. Um. I think I'd really like to get out of consulting in the next year. So I'd, I'd love to say that in six months from now, I'll, I'll decide on where I'm going to put it and open a coffee shop, roastery, and okay. um, maybe do a little consulting where people can come to me and, you know, a little bit of a classroom thing every other weekend or something. Right. But, um, you know, traveling's hard. Traveling's fun, but, you know, it's it's wears on you a bit. And um, I'm not getting any younger. So Yeah. yeah. Chris, Chris hates traveling. I'm not. Yeah. Well, hate's a strong <laughs> word. Yeah. I like traveling. With my own, like, rules. Right. I don't yeah. like being on anybody else's schedule. It's really hard for me. I like to do whatever I want when I want to do it. So yeah. that's, like, really frustrating, and I'm super routine-based. So if I get knocked out of that, I'm just, like... I hear you. I'm just, like, in a weird whirlwind where my brain just doesn't work right, and I start to get grumpy, and, like, everybody hates me. And it's yeah, just like, yeah. It's Traveling is hard. I it's mean, hard. I have a hard time, and I like it. It's tricky. You've yeah. got to channel, like, Chuck's too. energy. He doesn't care at all. Right. Charles is a special guy. He's a special guy. <laughs> they call him Fuck That Chuck. <laughs> He'll also just break down just in like sickness. And like, yeah. <laughs> I didn't eat for three days. <laughs> I feel weird, guys. Because <laughs> you know, I didn't have food, water, Charles. and I had a bagel. <laughs> <laughs> the bagel soaked up the remaining water in my body. <laughs> and now now I'm dehydrated. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Somebody help me. He's fine, though. He's fine. <laughs> now he's back. Can't he wait to get back to Africa. He had Newman Ultra Microscopic Silicoval Caniconiosis, and he's better now. What? That's <laughs> oh not true. Gosh. That was black lung disease in a long word. I learned that in uh, high school. Wow. He, he did, did have, have pneumonia. pneumonia, though. Yeah. So I yeah. just felt like I'd go big and then... Do you kind of throw that out on first dates? Like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm yeah, a, hey, girl. Yeah. <laughs> this is Charles. I, <laughs> I survived Newman Ultra, and then I said the rest. <laughs> So you want to open a shop again one day, and you want to roast coffee, and you want absolutely. To s- I okay. really not only do I want to stop traveling, but I really miss you know the shop environment. Yeah, I feel like here's the thing, right? <laughs> Almost all of us get into coffee as baristas. Yes, and we get hooked on it because we like making coffee and we like interacting with people. And then you know some of us end up being green buyers, some of us end up being trainers, some of us end up being roasters, and all these things. And and you know I think a lot of people might stop one day and realize this isn't really what I got into coffee for. Like I loved the coffee shop, but being a whatever, you know, like a trainer running around isn't the same thing or being uh-huh. a groom buyer isn't the same thing. And I feel like I've drifted. I, I've, I've gotten a lot out of consulting and all that, but I've drifted so far from what kind of excited me originally. Right. And um, I'd love to just have my own place again, have some rad equipment. I have this sort of this plan to do a cafe where I've been kind of saving up new ideas and maybe open a shop where we don't do anything that's ever been done before in a cafe. Lasers. So like only, yeah, basically, <laughs> laser, laser brewed coffee. Exactly. What was that movie with Val uh, Kilmer in the eighties? Or the what if it so had lasers? And all, all of it will be based on eighty sci-fi. They had a big, also, they had a big know. laser. <laughs> it was that's sick, dude. I like that idea. And yeah. you know what's funny is that's part of the reason that Chris and I opened Cat and Cloud. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you get to, it's weird. We've talked about this in the past, but in order to quote unquote make it and get to a place where you can make a living, most of the time you have to leave your actual passion that started yeah. you in coffee and go do something else to quote unquote make money. And yeah. I, we're doing our best to actually make that, um, make our belief that you don't have to go be a green buyer or be a trainer right. here. We're trying right. to figure out ways to, to make sure that people can make a living without doing that. And yeah. Including <coughs> us. We're going to always try to be on the floor at least one day a week. Or at least keep mm-hmm. elements of that involved in our culture. Yeah. So right. we did Jason, who you met yesterday really uh-huh. briefly. He's roasting coffee. He just started a couple of weeks ago in the roastery. And when we were doing interviews, we had three people that were in the cafe who were interviewing for this roasting position, and they all said the same thing. As I was like, if this position, which is two days a week right now, transition into like a full-time position, would you be willing to give up all of your bar shifts? And all of them said no. Huh. And I'm like, perfect. And I was yeah. like, great. We hired that's, the right yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. We hired the right people. We so want to be in touch. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. If you can't get back to the ground level and like see what's going on in your own, especially even whatever, call it, say if we ever had 10 stores and I'm never – yeah. Anywhere at the front lines doing anything. How disconnected is everybody from totally. me and my company and the original yeah. values and the vision? And, and you see that all the time, all the you time. know, with with these companies that, you know, they're awesome when they're one, maybe two stores. And then something happens where five, ten stores later, none of the original people are visible. Nobody's very invested in it. And it just doesn't feel like a haven anymore. No. You know, that's a hard thing to pull off to get bigger and to keep it. I can't even imagine. We think about it a lot. It's definitely going to be challenging. There's also, I've seen when companies get bigger, there's so much separation between things that happen. Like, I'm in product development. I'm in roasting. I'm a barista. And there's no, there's almost like no accountability to the other departments. And everybody thinks that they're operating in a vacuum. And it's forgetting that, like, they're doing this ultimately for, like, the consumer's enjoyment. Mm-hmm. down the line you yep. know and nobody's communicating with each other and just such disconnect and totally I can't deal with that's that hard stuff. for me yeah i get bummed yeah. out for me either it, yeah. yeah i'm about being connected and feeling connected to what's going on and so if it feels like here's your box and your bubbles stay in that lane only i can get staying in your lane in that mm-hmm. you have like responsibilities 
but like not being able to see or feel or have any input on anything even if it's not your responsibility is just like i don't know it's weird for me i have a hard time with yeah. it yeah i guess yeah. that's why we're here <laughs> I guess that's a big old <laughs> big old pain in the ass for anybody else <laughs> Dude, seriously <laughs> i am a big old pain in the ass Whoa. for anybody else we're doing what? good, you guys. Are we doing yeah. good? We're at 50 zero, five zero. This is minutes. the best podcast ever. I'm calling oh. it. <laughs> We're going to get so many listens on this one. People are going to love it. Well, because they love you. And they, and they love and hate us, too. <laughs> Actually, they probably love no, and Nobody hate, hates right? you guys. I got, well, I got my haters. I don't think you guys have any haters. There's a couple. We've got yeah. some haters. Yeah. But I mean. Let me take them out for you. Yes. You know? I've right. got I never problem. knew haters until I started uploading to YouTube regularly. Yeah, That's like does. a whole different <laughs> level of hate that I've never experienced before. No. It's amazing. The, in, the like internet's sort of like people people in their car. When they're driving, they suddenly turn into assholes. They feel safe. Right. It's, like, it's, like it's like a no, bad thing. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. There's So this, this is just a lesson overall that everyone can apply to their <laughs> lives. And I think this is like a great thing. I went to track my car at Sears Point Raceway. Mm-hmm. It's like a HPD, high-performance driving event. You bring your own car. It oh, sweet. passes tech, everything. Like, you go out with an instructor. It's awesome. Awesome. You run in groups of light cars. Everyone's in their helmet, safety gear. But then after every run, everybody who's on the track at the same time comes to the same building, helmets off, and they call it download. And every corner worker who's like, like the people with the flags out on the racetrack We'll just basically call you out for stuff that you did that was against the rules. So it's mm. like car number 537, silver WRX. And then, like, that guy raises his hand. And they're like, you passed in the corner on the inside when this guy was doing that. And that was dangerous. And that's that guy right there. And you have to look the other driver, like, in the eye or in the same room. And you're like, sorry, uh. dude. And you can't go back out on the track yeah. unless you go to download. That's so it kind cool. of erases that, like, oh, I'm just a dude in a car, like. Fuck everybody. So we need this in coffee. We need this I in coffee. <laughs> we need to have download <laughs> in coffee. Oh, wow. I don't know how so to do amazing. it. Maybe at SCAA. We should right? have an event. <laughs> Damon. Damon. You said it was you gross. You said Jer was an asshole on the internet. Jer's a real nice guy. I'm looking right at him. <laughs> he has feelings, too. Maybe you disagree with his theory, and when that's okay. That, it hurt me. It hurt him. <laughs> this is how it made me feel. <laughs> so, so what? You could have download. We could have download. Yeah. Anyway, I just thought that I had to rant about <laughs> it. Because that's like a real thing. It's just it's yeah. so depressing. And then it's like that awkward moment when you do know who they are, and then you do see them in real life, and you're like, yeah. sup. Everybody's yeah. got swollen amygdalas, you guys. <laughs> I've heard the science on this. <laughs> <laughs> they only need to chill out on their amygdalas. What's the deal with the Decent machine? The Decent is truly awesome. So it's a home um, machine. Yeah. So so this guy, John, he called me a couple years ago, says, I want you to consult for this project. And, you know... Every once in a while, I hear from these guys. Usually, they're they're usually they're tech people. Usually, they have big egos. Usually, they know nothing about coffee, but they they think they're gonna you know just take over the world. Right. And I usually don't want to talk to these guys. It's you fair. know, and it's kind of like I don't know, John. I don't, uh, he already <laughs> he already he already hired a few consultants, and I was like, I don't really want to touch this project, right? And then we talked again the next day, and I, I said, look, I don't want to be an asshole, and I know this is rude. I'm sorry, but if you, I will work with you, but I do not want you to do this by committee. If you really are serious about revolutionizing espresso, you don't do it by committee. You do it with a single-minded focus and hire me, fire everyone else. I said, I don't, I don't want my opinions to get diluted by, by five people bickering over how it should be. It's like, not that I have every answer, but I promise you I will guide you well and efficiently. And he, and he called me back the next day and he says, totally. He says, that's what I would have said. And uh, this guy's actually super successful in tech. Like he started a couple of companies, and he's just a mad genius. And um, so, just we just got along great. A couple weeks later, 
I realized I love working with this guy. He's a genius, and he's actually doing something kind of amazing. And I said, look, I don't want to be your consultant. I just want to be like a tiny partner in this. Just, just give me something. Give me a crumb so that I feel like I'm ownership. And, and, you know, and he says, yeah, totally. We work together well. Let's do that. And um, it's been very cool. That's awesome. So in a nutshell, right? Yeah. And this isn't really like even a sales pitch, but this is just interesting as a geek. What Cropster did for roasting, right, where you have this software and you have all the data and you can actually see what's going on. You know, it used to be in roasting that you put it in, you set it at a certain temperature, you take it out at a certain temperature, like, oh, that was 12 and a half minutes. Yeah. And then one day people started writing down numbers. And that was hard. And then eventually this crop <laughs> you see you see all the little noise and all the things happening, right? Yeah. So this espresso machine's actually like cropster for espresso. So you got these the tablet on top of the machine. It comes with the tablet and you actually can watch graphs of pressure, flow and temperature in real time during a shot. Fun. And it's so interesting because we're learning a lot about what's actually going on underneath the hood in espresso that mm. nobody knew before. Because right. there's no way to track it before. I've learned a ton. And I, I already knew a fair amount about this right. and I'm like, I can't believe how much I'm learning. And um, like we've learned things like pressure kind of means nothing, but flow is everything. And being able to get the combination of grind and declining pressure profiles so that your flow stays constant seems to be kind of the magic trick for, for getting the best quality extraction. There's, there's a whole bunch of little uh, things like that that we're learning. We're learning about how much heat gets sort of sunk into the grounds when you, when you start dumping water right. on them. And the machine actually can think. The machine can actually see that and compensate and, and change its delivery temperature to maintain a certain temperature of liquid right above the puck. Um, so there's all these nifty things we're doing that are just like really fun. So it's geeking out on a level like never before. So, so. are you re-falling in love with espresso on a different level now? You know, um, I don't think I'll ever be <laughs> madly in love with espresso. Yeah. It's a little too long. concentrated for me. Yeah. But um, I'm really enjoying, I feel like I have more control over the flavor than I ever had before. That's cool. And that's cool because I feel like you know, that, that sourness that sometimes is easy to get in light roasted espresso and stuff like that. I feel like we have far more control over that stuff than before. And that, that makes me really happy. Yeah. I feel like with a good grinder, we can just pump out an almost identical, excellent, juicy shot every time with it, which is which is great. You know, so that's been pretty so fun. So let's take it to production. <coughs> and Does it steam milk? Oh, it's, yeah, right. Well, so so he's got this idea <coughs> right. that he's coming out with a, with a professional version that'll be plumbed and all this. And... He's building slots on the sides that basically if you want a three group, you buy three machines, you slot them next to each other. So they just attach to each uh. other. And let's say one of them breaks. Right. You call us literally the next day. We'll get you a machine oh, gotcha. and you put the new one in its slot. You take the old one, you put it in a box, send it back to us. We'll just take care of it. And so he's got this modular thing. So it's like maybe you got four groups in your bar. You want to do a catering event. You just take out one of them and just take it to the catering event. It's kind event. of fun. Yeah. So it's kind <laughs> of a neat stunning. concept, you know. Cool. Um, That's cool. Yeah. We were overwhelmed last week, but I definitely want to play with one of these machines. Yeah. Like, but in real life, like, I want it at my house for like a week. Right. Can we do that? That's the best way to do it. Yeah, yeah. We'll just like ask you in front of everybody just to make it. We'll work it out. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll get you a trial machine. Yeah, okay, cool. So so here's my idea. Well, does it steam milk too? That's the other thing that people probably want to know. Yeah, yeah. So actually, the steaming is interesting because uh, the base, the base whole machine is 110 volt. And it's right. really hard to get steam power out of 110 volt. But right. that's pretty clever. So he jacked up the steaming temperature to over 300 degrees Fahrenheit. Okay. And so actually, I don't understand why. It's a pretty dry steam, and I don't understand this, but it actually makes microfoam easier for like a kind of a amateur barista. Yeah. So you and I don't have a problem with any machine. But right. this actually, for someone who doesn't have much, like someone like John, who's not a pro, he just nails it every time. That's which cool. Which is great. Yeah. I would say it takes about five, ten seconds longer to steam a cap than it does with a professional well, machine. Well, it's a home machine, that. though. Yeah. You're right. You, yeah. you got to so, assume that will happen. Yeah. So it's, it's cool. really fun. 
So but here's here's my hope, right? Okay. Is that you know you remember what the clover did in in coffee, where it was like right. people weren't always making great coffee on clovers, but there was this gee whiz piece of tech on your coffee bar. Yeah. And and everyone was kind of happy suddenly to spend five bucks on a cup of coffee, and that right. was unheard of at the time. Right, pre clover, probably nobody ever charged more than two bucks for a cup of coffee. Yeah, right? you can go fuck yourself. So my hope is that one day we put this in cafes where the screen there's actually going to be two screens. One one will be in the back and it'll face the customer, and you can order that ten dollars shot of Kenya or whatever, and you can watch the screen and you can actually have a truly educational conversation with people about what's going on in espresso. Because right now espresso is just you push a button, thirty seconds later it's done. There's no there's no data. There's no idea what's going on. So that. In a, in a geeky way, that would be kind of awesome for me to see mm. this happen where it's like that. Right. You know, I mean, you know, not everybody wants the geeky stuff. And I, I but totally But even get worst that. case scenario, they get to see a picture. Yeah, right? totally. And it's, they're like, it's that's interesting. entertaining. Something's happening so in there. That, that's the fun part for me, you know. That is cool. So, yeah. So You got to do it. It's really interesting. <laughs> Clover is like so interesting to me. I yeah. had a Clover coffee this week when oh, I was at Disneyland. <laughs> it's hard to find. Uh, yeah. Well, Starbucks. Starbucks. I got it at Starbucks. Yeah. 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 Well, it's crazy because, like you said, it legitimized that $5 cup of coffee because you have this weird piece of tech that no one's yep. ever seen. And you're like, whoa, this is crazy. I'll pay five yep. bucks for that. Yep. Then Starbucks buys the company. Yeah. You still have it, but it's hard to get parts and it's a big old pain in the ass. But that kind of paved the way. And now people pay five or six bucks for like a yeah. pour over all day, which probably would not have happened on its own. You're absolutely you know right. You know what I mean? And I feel like that there's a huge business lesson in there. You know, if you want, I mean, because what all of us want in third wave, if you would call it that, we want a whole bunch of people to adopt what we're doing and get into it. Right. But you can't just walk up to them and say, here, this is better. It right. doesn't work at all. The Clover was the back door. The Clover was like, hey, this is kind of gee whiz. Check this out. And it got people talking. And it got people who would never have chosen the $5 cup of coffee to give it a shot. And I feel right. like we need to think more like that about, like, don't don't just say, because too many third-wave people just think, oh, I'll just do it better and people will come. And it does not work like that. It works a little bit like that, but not much. Not like I had yeah. the same not conversation like the yesterday. Yeah. It was crazy. We, I was, I was right talking about marketing. It's, yeah. yeah, it's and nuts. And you could think of the Clover as gimmicky. I don't. But, I mean, it, you know, you I could don't. see it. Because, I mean, it's a legit machine in its own way, you know. Um, but I think people just need to think a little bit more about that. Like, I'm always trying to tell my clients, you know, if you really want to get some, some new people on board with this, do tastings. But I don't just mean, like, the random cupping where people walk in. I'm like, do a tasting with a lesson. Like, sit down with people. Like, we used to do that at, when I had Myriad years ago. Every Sunday morning, we'd, we'd have, it was, in, you know, it was, you had to sign up. And it'd be 10 people. And I would do a tasting for an hour with a lesson. So we would taste, you know, the same coffee brewed in five different apparatuses or, right. or different kind of roasts of the same thing. But, yep. you know, something educational, something fun. And, and it got people really jazzed up and it made them into the type of people who went out and had to tell all the friends about this thing. Right. Yeah. You know, and it's like you got to do that grassroots stuff. It's smart. Know? Yeah. I totally agree with you. If you can get somebody to be able to taste the same coffee and understand the difference between the, even the brew methods and how mm -hmm. it comes out. They're all same ratio, same as much as you can, same everything. You've just converted them. Yeah, they're, like, they're you know. like, whoa, yeah. that's just one coffee. And then you can actually have those conversations. Then they don't ask those questions about, like, what makes it taste different? You're all, everything. Super helpful answer, right? Exactly. <laughs> like, like, how much like, time well, do you have? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, I can't even yeah, break this down thing. for you. But then, you know, you yeah. give them that, and they're like, oh, he yeah. wasn't full of shit when he said everything. Yeah. <laughs> Holy crap. It's hard. People oh. ask me that question all the time. We had a little interview earlier, and they're like, what makes your coffee different? Oh. And it's like, but it is the thing. They want to yeah, know, right? Yeah. You just open a company. Yep. What makes your coffee different? And there's a number of things we could say, and yeah. they all only make this much sense. And I'm using my little fingers and showing them. They <laughs> don't make Because <laughs> <sense to> <laughs> it doesn't make sense to anybody until you right. taste it or until you, like, stand beside us and or see somebody else's version or, yeah. you know, whatever that would be.
Yeah, it's some like sort of you, you pick the one that's going to make the most impact on the audience that you're talking to at that time. Exactly. So we have a different answer for the, yeah. the woman who just interviewed us than we'd have for you mm. or that we have for a normal customer in the cafe, which is I think that's important because a lot of times, you know, you'll like put out a tutorial on espresso brewing and then or whatever. And everyone's like, you forgot to mention this. And I was yeah. like, I didn't forget. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, I'm well aware that this plays a role in brewing coffee, but you're missing the point exactly. of this. This yeah. Tutorial or whatever it is is not geared towards you. You already know. You're preaching to the choir, man. Yeah, I hear you. <laughs> it's a rough spot to be in because you're like, you didn't talk about this. You're like, oh gosh. Yeah. Anytime you're you missing get to the anything point. leadership or like <laughs> anything new or anywhere where you're gonna put yourself out there, I think you're gonna yeah. get that all day. Long. Yeah. So, so you know, going back to Ryan Brown. So <laughs> when I when Same. I wrote my second book, uh, it was a couple of years after my first book, and and I said to Ryan, you know, basically I was getting. As, as much criticism as, as praise, in a sense. Like, I, there were plenty of people, before they even read the book, they were online telling, telling everybody I was an idiot, you know. And, uh, and so Ryan and I kind of came up with this, this thing one day that it was about a five-year process. Like, you put out a book. First, it's mostly haters. And then, and then a few people were into it. And then a few years later, people are kind of, you know, the haters are like, eh, I don't know, there's a couple of good points. And then a couple of years after that, the haters are like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I knew that stuff all along. You know, and there's this whole, <laughs> there's this whole process of, you know, when you do introduce something new, like it's 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 all it's just human nature. Yeah. Like people resist new information. When that refractometer came out, it was hated for a couple of years. You know, there were so many people who were like offended by it and threatened by it. And it's just a tool. You know, right. you don't have to listen to it. It's just giving you a data point. You know. But um, you have to be yeah. its boss. But I feel like once you go through that process a couple of times, then it's like, okay, I can handle this. Yeah. yeah. I, I know I'm going to put out a book. I know people are going to say nasty things, and that's totally fine. Right. Like, it's not a big deal. And, you know, and over time, it'll kind of all smooth out, and it's human nature, and what are you going to do about it? You know? It's actually a good growing process. It is. It is. Also we should probably all go through that in general as much as possible. Totally. I, there's also other lessons in there, too, that, like, the marketing, quote, unquote, if you want to call it that, around these things could be a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, mm -hmm. like I remember my, cause I was definitely in that camp. Like my first interaction with a refractometer was someone's like, dude, this is refractometer. You have to make the coffee have these numbers or you're just an asshole. And I was like, that doesn't <laughs> even make sense to me, which right. that's not really the idea right, right. behind the refractometer. Like you can do a lot of different things with it. But I, I yeah. think that like for a lot of people in the barista community, it was presented to them so yep. aggressively. And so maybe not in the way that it could have been to where it, like a lot of people shut off, but where is the marketing for the refractometer? Well, that's the thing. I, I'm I'm not sure how aggressive it was as much as it was just one of those things that instantly stirred controversy, and then people were in camps, right? You okay. know, and so Vince Vince Fidelli, who who kind of crafted the whole thing. I mean, I spent a lot of hours over time. I mean, uh, Vince isn't much, you know, for marketing and such, and he's kind of like a scientist, and he's kind of a mad genius, and you know, I just spent hours trying to convince him that you know people really need this sort of simple, gentle here's what it is, here's how you use it, because right. like Vince always kind of overestimated. He was so deep in it, he never really understood how, how much people didn't get it, didn't get what it was or wasn't. And I was always trying to get him to back off and like simplify, simplify. Because, um, you know, it's, it's, it, that's, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to, uh, the refractometers, it's a hard thing for a lot of people to swallow when it first came out. It's like, right. you know, back then it was sort of cowboy days. It's like, my coffee tastes great because I'm an incredible barista. You know, and then, <laughs> and then to basically have a machine tell you, eh, your coffee's really inconsistent is like, that's not cool. You're Nobody off. really wanted that. No, you it's know? not. This machine so, is wrong. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, for me, like that first month with the refractometer, is awesome. That was, I learned more that month than maybe I learned in the years leading up to that because I felt like I wanted to know 
I didn't know how good or bad my coffee was, but I wanted to know what everything did to the extraction number. Right. And I didn't even know yeah. what the numbers meant, but I was like, I want to know what these grinders do. I want to know what this, what, how much this tamping move it, how much does this temperature move it. I was like, I was just fast. I didn't know what to do with it, but that was interesting. Right. You know? Yeah, the first time I, I really got down with that was when I wasn't doing the breeze competition, but decided to compete in Brewer's Cup. Mm. The first year that it happened, I was like, I'm going to compete in Brewer's Cup. Yeah. And I was like, I need a refractometer. <laughs> And it was locked. It was crazy. It got it locked down. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it it is super interesting, and that's the thing for me. I just want to know what it does. Yep. Yeah. It was cool to be able to make the same coffee like all the time. Yes. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. And just be because a lot of for competitions and stuff, like I really like the the showmanship piece of the Mm. whole thing. Brewers Mm. Cup is like so much more showmany than like the barista thing. But I was like, oh, I can figure out a way to make this fun. But I don't feel comfortable if I know th- if I have second thoughts about the product. Yeah, so for absolutely. me, I'm like, I just want to put this thing to bed and like not even second guess what these people are going to taste. Mm-hmm. I already know that that's in the bag, and then I can just focus on having a good time absolutely. and do what I want to do. Yeah, and that's by the way, I think that's how shops should run too. Is right. Like, you know, I think G and B does that really well. Like their attitude is, we're going to batch brew, we're going to make espresso, we're going to keep it simple, so we can focus on customers. Like right. We know we got the coffee in the bag. Let's just focus on customers rather right. than making coffee really difficult. Yeah. You know. It doesn't and I sense you guys hard. are looking at that a little bit that way too. It's like you know. We're gonna get there. Back, back when it was all like clovers and pour overs and everything, it's like those things are great, but then again, they were they were making it too hard for yeah. baristas. And like know? today, the recipe for espresso is like remarkably different than it was yesterday. Yeah. Because that's yeah. what I feel yeah. like. Yeah. Because yeah. I think it's who cool. we are. Yeah. Man, yep. is there anything else that we haven't asked you that you want to talk about? Oh, I don't know. I mean, we covered a lot. I know we did. Um, we did a good job. I, I mean, think it's yeah. just great. And the little braces room is calling me at, at an hour and ten minutes almost in. Oh wow, <laughs> this is a I good know. cast. We could do. We could almost do like a two-parter. Uh, almost. Well, almost. I think one would be banger though. You'll want if one. you're like driving up the coast and you just want to listen, Ooh. get your rail on. <laughs> Always. <laughs> get your rail of light. <laughs> it's a rail of light in a room full of darkness. In your ears. Dude, thank you so much thanks for coming hey, by. Thanks for having me. This was awesome. I, The stories are great. Wait, awesome. one last question. Uh-oh. Do All you right. already have the title of your next book? Or are you not allowed to share it yet? Uh, I have a working title, and I can't share it. Perfect. And it'll, it'll change, I'm sure. There you go. So if people <laughs> want to find fun. you. But I, I will tell you, so <laughs> um, I, think that, I think there's a cafe with this name, which kind of makes me hesitant to use it. Okay. Uh, but I, I like the phrase modern coffee. I feel okay. like third wave is kind of it's kind of used. It's over. It is right? over. There is like a we don't know what's next. But I'm using like tsunami myself. It's awesome. awesome. Yeah, yeah. No, that's the, the biggest really wave. Ever. Very dramatic. It's yeah. insane. There's a lot um, going on in there. But um, I, I feel like you know, I was thinking of things like modern coffee mastery or something like that. But yeah. like, you know, using that phrase. But I think there's a shop maybe in Oakland called Modern Coffee. Yeah, I'm there not sure. is. Modern in Oakland downtown. Yeah. Okay. So and I know like Matt Perger and I like we chat all the time. We're always using the phrase modern coffee. It's just kind of like the natural. Because then it, then it kind of can evolve for the next 10, 20 years under totally. that title. You know? We're past so modern A coffees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Are you writing so. it with Matt? Uh, no, no. No. Okay. Friends uh, for life, though. BFF. Okay. Matt. Wrap it up, you. Chris. That's my fault. Yeah, that's it. Well, just to clarify, if someone wants to find you, they go to scottrayo.com. Yeah. If someone has, like, consulting inquiries, anything, scottrayo.com. Yeah, awesome. Wicked. Thank All you. right. This is the Thanks Cat for Coffee Podcast. Yeah, no, we're pumped. You were listening to Rayo, dude. You just got rayoed. <laughs> Boom. We're going to catch you on the flip side. Thanks, everybody. Good morrow.